Jamie's not here to do her, Alex Jones. She always had the best one. Because the position of the petty bourgeois uh, authoritarian reactionary is a highly Oedipalized position. Mm-hmm. And so Alex Jones affirms it and says, you're right for feeling that way. Right, yeah. Um, now, deontology, I barely know what that means. I don't know but, what the fuck that means. But I think they, they have like a jingoistic ontology that like yeah. America has this spirit and this like, uh, they're almost like a, you know, uh, late Hegelians or like yeah. conservative Hegelians of yeah. like America is like the highest form of social political existence. They're like, if there's dark Brandon, they're like dark Fukuyama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Jones is dark Fukuyama. You heard it here first, folks. All right, let's move on to Taiwan. <laughs> I will say before we move on to Taiwan that uh, rest in peace to James Lindsay, one of the best to do it. And rest that, in peace to Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, rest in peace to Nancy Pelosi. Um, burial at sea. Great, great job. <laughs> great job you did out there, lady, you 82-year-old ghoulish corpse. Yeah, I only saw the memes. What actually happened? Oh, she's, my God. She's, of course, she survived. Nothing, she survived. Yeah. It was... The missile didn't hit the plane. The missile didn't hit the plane. It was like in Top Gun or whatever, when Maverick can't get the target or whatever. <laughs> I was... Uh, I mean, there's... There's always, like, a, a nihilist part of me that just wants to see, you know, shit go down. That wants to see shit hit the fan. Jokerfied, Sean. Joker. I've always been jokerfied, even, you know, since since way back in the day. Even before you saw the Joker? Even before I saw. I was, like, the Ur-Joker, bro. I, I've been... I've been <laughs> I've been jokering since the night. I was yeah. jokering on that 1960s Joker. <laughs> I remember when the Joker got his start. He learned everything from me. <laughs> I remember his green jumpsuit and Adam <laughs> West. <laughs> now, yeah, there's a part of me that was thinking how, not maybe funny isn't the right word, but how exhilarating it would be to have uh, to see the Speaker of the House um, in, a, in an altercation <laughs> over the South China uh-huh. Sea. <laughs> I mean, China's China's far too reasonable and rational of like a geopolitical actor to let that happen. Of course, as much yeah. as nationalists in the United States on the right and nationalists in China really wanted that to happen. I they mean, wanted, they want us to be thinking about it. They want us yeah. to have this conversation. They yeah. want they wanted it to be like they never had any intention of murdering Nancy Pelosi, obviously, yeah. but. They did want, they maneuvered warships or whatever with the strategy of saying, like, just so you know, like, we will fight if we have to. Yeah, and it's not unprecedented either in, I think it was, no, 1996 under uh, Bill Clinton, there was uh, a huge uh, U.S.-China, whatchamacallit, not like, a crisis uh, when... A, uh, when the uh, Chinese jet like bumped into uh, an American intelligence uh, jet, mm-hmm. and the American intelligence jet was forced to land in China. This was China like flexing what, you know, its much punier muscles uh, like 25 years ago or mm-hmm. so. But American soldiers or American pilots held captive for like 10 days in this giant international incident or whatever. This is the kind of thing that states do. You know, mm-hmm. they, you saw this in the Cold War where the United States would fly nuclear bombers directly at the line with the Soviet Union and the, the last minute like peel away. It's sort of like the way that ruling classes keep each other on their toes. I think that the Pelosi thing was really, really interesting because it seemed to, and I'm not sure this is really true, it seemed to show a sort of like conflict within the ruling class about how to ratchet up tensions because Joe Biden didn't go so far as to say, you know, 
listen, don't go. This is bad. It's going to be unnecessary ratcheting up of tensions in a very tough period right now. But he did say it's probably not a good idea. You know, so one side of the Democratic Party was like, not a good idea. Nancy Pelosi's wing of the Democratic Party was like based, awesome, Cold War II, let's fucking go, democracy versus authoritarianism. Tucker Carlson was like Nancy Pelosi in this very particular instance, based, epic, go there, fucking show those commies who's boss. But I'm not even sure. Tucker Carlson said that? He, I mean, the right wing in general was like very, very, like, this is the one case where I agree with Nancy Pelosi. Really? They're they, they thought it was based? Yeah. That's amazing. Did. I mean, some, again, like the right and the left of, the, of capital in this country have all sorts of different fractures between them. Yeah. But I'm not sure that it's like a real split. I think that like, except for fringes on the right and the left of like, you know, mainstream American politics, pretty much every politician in America agrees Cold War II good, right? Mm-hmm. They see the specter of China's rise, and they they feel in their bones like well, the real palpable American decline happening. Yeah, I think the obviously there's some freaks who who more or less say that, but I think most most of them are just like they see the writing on the wall um, that their class is in trouble. Like yeah. the you know the, the 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 United States is still the superpower, but it does not deserve to be. Yeah. And it's and not going to be the, that way forever. No, the material and, basis for that is like decli- declined already, and right. continually declining. And China is starting to see the same thing too. The ruling class of China is also, you know, pretty nervous about. Yeah, I think there are some very optimistic uh, I, uh, parts of China's strategy, mm-hmm. um, but they're doomed, just like. Every, everything is China. I mean, me and Varn talked about this on our China episode, but uh, the Chinese Communist Party took a bet, and you can understand the bet that like private accumulations, special economic zones, and then building up like a large semi-private, semi-public uh, base of capitalist enterprises was the way to get development, which it turns out was very much true. Uh, it just turned out that uh, China was just, you know, 20, 30 years behind the rest of the capitalist world and mm. running into the actual limits of its uh, regime of accumulation. Yeah, so I, I think that's exactly right. I think that uh, the Chinese, um, you know, they're, they're fractured as well, but I think that President Xi has a very real politic sort of way that he looks at confrontation with the United States. They all know, both of these groups know that pointing guns across the Straits of Taiwan, doing all sorts of exercises near one another's borders, putting up these economic tariffs, um, performative mostly, right, because there's still tons of economic activity between them, is not only good for them as individual regional ruling classes, but it's also good domestically in order to keep their own populations with their eyes on the prize, like looking Mm -hmm. outwards for an enemy, of course, as opposed to looking at their own state and their own leaders, so... Um, but let me ask you this, because I, I don't know a lot about the history of China and uh, Taiwan. That one kind of China, thing. man. There, there's no, there's no Taiwan. It's just mm-hmm. one China. This is the yeah, you know, um, American policy. Yeah, it's yeah. That is so funny. It's like the the policy is. Oh no, we agree with one China policy. <laughs> um, don't ask me for any more details about <laughs> what I mean by that. Yeah, you know, I know that amount, but like since the war in Ukraine in February broke out, we've all had a lot of time to like. Think about why Ukraine, like yeah. materially, you know, what is this about extraction is about 
population as a resource? Is it just, you know, like this nationalist ideology run amok? Like, what what is it about Ukraine that became, like, the first flashpoint in, like, yeah. whatever, like, new wave of conflict or creations we're going to see? Yeah. Um, do you think that there's something about Taiwan that makes it uh, particularly vulnerable? As, like, a flashpoint? or Yeah, like, geographically, or is it, oh, is it yeah. simply just... That's like the alternate vision, the, the neoliberal vision of China laying in wait to take over. I mean, it's it's really I mean, the, the longer history, of course, is that the KMT, um, you know, like the proto fascist sort of umbrella nationalist group fled there uh, after the losing the Civil War in the late 1940s. And they put together a uh, dictatorship of capital, <laughs> literal dictatorship, where there was no human rights, there was no democracy for decades. The United States, of course, supported them in this, uh, as they supported the KMT before. Um, the One China policy only goes back to 1972. It was a concession by Richard Nixon that he gave to the Chinese uh, leadership um, in order to, like, basically have a way to weasel out of taking any real position on Taiwan and just say like, we just, we don't, we won't take any position. We're just going to leave them be. We agree that Taiwan is historically part of China. So we believe there should be some sort of peace process between the two of them, just like North and South Korea, where they should reconcile. And it just turned into the status quo for the last 50 years. And the United States, of course, has ratcheted up tension after tension after tension. And so why it's an interesting flashpoint ideologically is that it's being used as this sort of, as a chess piece in this game of like authoritarianism versus democracy, Mm -hmm. right? So like for the American liberal, for the New York Times, Ukraine, of course, takes on like the Ur democracy against like the Ur authoritarian Putin. And in this instance, you've got these two different regimes. You've got like the authoritarian China and you've got the the free and democratic human rights Taiwan. And this is the framing that uh, the sort of dying, decaying vital center of like the rules-based international order is trying to get all of us to think in terms of, you know, Noam Chomsky or fucking Aaron Maté or Max Blumenthal, like any number of people can point out to you the vast hypocrisies, like we were talking about MBS, you know, in Saudi Arabia earlier, uh, of American policy and how authoritarianism versus democracy is really not the right rubric, you know, to to understand the world. Um, But I think that the United States is going to continue to use Taiwan as a pressure point against China. And I think that it set itself up as the perfect sort of like lever and hinge for both sides of this to use in order to to contest uh, not just global power, but of course power too in the South China Sea where vast majorities of the, the... the material wealth of humanity passes through and circulates through is produced in, you know, at any given time. So I don't know. I I think that um, both sides want to avoid a war, but I don't think either side is willing to, to, to lose face. And I think that it is the plan of the United States ruling class to try to set more and more, not just political, but also economic dividing lines between the Chinese economy and the American economy, Mm -hmm. which I think is ultimately a fruitless, it's going to be a failed effort. Mm. $700 billion worth of commodities exported from China to America every year. China now finally running out of this massive sort of like wave of proletarianization slash like uh, capital accumulation 
uh, has run up against these barriers that America ran up against 40 years ago or so. And the two of them are now just like, I guess, going to be locked in some shitty, violent, uh, slow motion embrace off the cliff mm. of global capitalism. And we all get to watch it and be part of it and enjoy it, you know? That's a beautiful image. Chi yeah. and Biden kissing yeah. and walking <laughs> off a cliff uh, road runner style and then alternately <laughs> it's like the famous picture of uh putin kissing trump right the two of them too and trump's next candidacy you'll you'll see right. that as well but no like it's i don't think it's um it's ideological per se but the ideological sheen on it is a, is trying to compel us to take a side in this particular geopolitical battle between them yeah and, and regardless of like the motivation for the side taking or like what you know what the united states you know, foreign policymakers or political class really thinks about China. It seems pretty clear to me that part of the reason Ukraine is so important um, to the West is containing China. Yeah. Uh, because they think, well, not only if we stop Putin in Ukraine, like, and pin him down there, not only will it stop Putin from going into, you know, Scandinavia or the, uh, you know, the Baltic countries, like the rest of Europe, mm-hmm. um, it'll send a message to China that, this is going to happen to you if you go into Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, the way that China... China's playing an interesting game in Europe right now, just as it's playing an interesting game in Africa and in its own sort of geopolitical region of Southeast Asia and Latin America as well. Uh, in Europe, uh, it's finding countries, especially Serbia, who also is an ally of, of Russia as well, um, trying to find little footholds within Europe for, you know, within the Belt and Road Initiative, but more just trading in general to kind of try to split the EU along particular lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, China famously punished, um, what is it? Was it Estonia, I think? Estonia accepted a Taiwanese diplomat at some event um, and questioned the one China policy. So China, all of a sudden, like all the contracts that Estonian oh, capital wow. had with yeah. Chinese capital, all of a sudden got jammed up with paperwork or whatever. That's how they do it. So China's like, is quietly using different ways in order to mm-hmm. sort of test the resolve of uh, the European Union. But what was the, the Ukraine war was interesting because what it basically, the deal that was made was that Europe, the European ruling class, would make the European working class suffer the penalty of American foreign policy, mm-hmm. right? Like there would be austerity for European workers in order to keep the NATO alliance and keep the rules-based international order intact. And in order to try to create a false unity within a West, quote-unquote, that's more and more fractured each and every day. And the question is, can, this, can they create this sort of unity? Like, can you create... Uh, or sustain a unity between, like, the German ruling class, French ruling class, Italian ruling class, American and British ruling class, if what that means is punishing the working classes of all those places. Mm. Uh, Whether that's sustainable or not, I think, is really the open question. Mm -hmm. And it's the same question that you'd ask about a a new Cold War with China. Is the American working class going to suffer a dramatic loss of its quality of life in order to prosecute this like economic and political war against China. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I think that the propaganda for that is ongoing. And I yeah. think that Pelosi's thing was part of, again, not just an outward facing, but an inward facing attempt to try to focus the American working class 
and middle class petty bourgeoisie and the thinkers and the intellectuals on with the enemy that they want them to focus on. I see. On, that's just a, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really know, good that's theory. Just, that's just how I've been thinking about it. Because, yeah, because like it, it's, and it's a good, um, it's just, it's a very good enemy for capital because there's the perception that everything's made in China. You know, China's got all the workers. The Chinese workers are disciplined and ideological and loyal and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So it sort of implies like, okay, things are bad in America. We don't believe in the American state anymore yeah. or whatever. But like, I mean, you want to, you want China to win? There's that- no future for us <laughs> in America. Everybody sees it. This entire yeah. political system is dysfunctional and breaking down our economic Situation is completely chaotic, but do you want to live like they'd live under zero COVID lockdown in Shanghai? Uh-huh. Do you want authoritarianism on the march? 